So uh, we're going to take a little hiatus this morning. Uh, Pastor Rody is um, out of town, uh, off to a wedding, I hear. So um, I'm going to step in, and we're going to move aside on uh, Pastor Wolfmuller's book today. But I did pick a topic um, that I think is really relevant, and, and Pastor Rody's been mentioning it a, a lot recently in terms of uh, the different look at authority and table of duties and everything. And he's mentioned the fourth commandment a few times. So I thought, you know what? Maybe it would be a good day to get a real refresher on the fourth commandment. So uh, let's do that. And I'll tell you kind of, as as you see when we go through it, why I think it's real kind of applicable to the other studies we're doing here at Faith Capo. Uh, So that being uh, said, why don't we open with an invocation. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Um, so, as I said, the relevancy of this class, um, we f- are talking about governments and, you know, when we obey and, and when, when we can revolt against the government, we talked about in other classes. And So I thought, why don't we, we talk today about the fourth commandment? And the reason I do so is because this, all authority on earth extends from the fourth of commandment. And that's what I want to cover today. So let's take a look in this. But before I do, briefly, let's kind of review uh, the two tables here. So recall we've got the Ten Commandments. The first table, we've got the first three. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the first table, right? And if we remember from our catechism class, this first table is directed where? It's all directed vertical, right? It's, uh, it's, it's us to God. So everything within this is, uh, is our relationship with God, um, and we see. Now, the second table of law, then, which I'm going to be d- focusing on today, is this. Um, it's the, the remaining seven, uh, s- starting with um, the fourth commandment. And all these is, uh, differentiate from the first, where we're looking, it's all directed toward God. All the remaining here, four through seven, are directed towards us and our neighbor. Okay? So it's vertical. So in the first, we've got, well, I have my pointer here, but I don't think it's going to work. Um, we've got a vertical look for the first table. and the second, it's all horizontal. It's where we are in relationship to our neighbor. So the fourth commandment then um, is honor your, your parents and our neighbors and all, in, and all in authority. The fifth commandment, we honor our neighbor when we do not hurt or harm him, but support him in every physical need. Sixth commandment, we honor the institution of marriage. Husbands and wives honor each other. Again, all vertical relationships. Seventh commandment, do not steal. Honor our neighbor's money. Uh, We honor our neighbor's money or possessions and help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Eighth commandment, 
We honor our neighbor by not telling lies about him, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything about him in the kindest way. Again, horizontal. Ninth commandment, we honor our neighbor by not scheming to get his inheritance or house, but by helping and being of service to him and keeping it. And then the tenth commandment, we honor our neighbor when we do not entice or force away his wife, workers, or animals, or turn to them or turn them against him. And we when we urge but we urge them to stay and do their duty. Okay? So we're in this second table of law related to the neighbor. We're starting then with the first uh, the first commandment on the second table, which is the fourth commandment. Was that confusing enough? You guys got it? First commandment on the second table, uh, which is the fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Um, sounds simple, doesn't, doesn't it? But really, there is so much more to this commandment than the, just, just this simple con, this concept of father and mother. Just so much theology packed into this. And I'm going to kind of try to unpack some today for us. Um, This commandment for sure does tell us about honoring our parents. That is true. Clearly, it says it right there, right? But also, um, a lot of the the church fathers and and Luther, when when you really start to unpack this, you see that, um, it also sets all the stage for all other types of authority in our world, including government authorities um, and, and other temporal authorities that we think about. But this is also really the basis of what, what where Luther starts his understanding of vocation, the doctrine of vocation. And I'm going to touch on that a bit here. So, fourth commandment, yes, honor your father and mother, huge part of it. But really, as I said, it's more, it's more broad than this. And it's, it, there's a lot into it than just simply honoring your father and mother. So, the catechism. <clears throat> honor your You guys remember these? What does this mean in the catechism? It means this. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor, th- but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Now, the reason I have that bolded, you see I have so that bolded, it's because of this. In the small catechism, when Luther does the explanations, in the first three commandments, one, two, and three, we say this. We should fear, love, and trust in God. And then, but in the fourth, in the second table of law, four through ten, Luther adds, so that. So we should fear and love God so that we should fear and love God so that my love for my neighbor grows out of my love for God. And that's what we see in commandments 4 through 10. The so that. Or we can see in the first commandment, first and second commandment is this. 
I remember I said first is faith toward God, and then second is is toward the the love of the neighbor. Um, so all the commandments in the second table then point us to first loving God. Right? We should fear. We should fear and love God so that we can actually just love our neighbor. Um, so that, that, I think that's, that's important that Luther adds the so that in here. So it's love of God and then we can, we can then um, love our neighbor. But with respect to this in particular, the fourth commandment, there are two things that we are not to do to our parents. We are not to, one, despise them or to anger them. But then in this also we see some positive things in this commandment here in, in the fourth commandment under the explanation. There are five things that the, sec, that the fourth commandment does require us to do for our parents. And these are honor, serve, obey, love, and cherish. So two things we don't do, despise or anger, but then five things that we do towards our parents, right? This is a positive and negative. Um, now, right off the bat, I'm going to say, obviously, this is no easy task. In fact, there's some, this is something that no human being has ever done except for Jesus, who, Paula, who followed this perfectly. But remember, in all these commandments... No one actually is to keep them perfectly. And this is why Jesus lived a perfect life in our place and died on the cross, so to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But it does not mean that these aren't important, right? This does give us a guide um, here in terms of how we are to, what we are not to do to our parents and then the five things we are to do to them. And also, as I'm going to go on here, you see that this also flows to other authority. Any questions so far at this point? Okay, so there's a lot more stuff to unpack here. Um, So Martin Luther, in the largest catechism related to the second table. So again, speaking of the second table here, Luther says the first and greatest of the second table is the fourth commandment. Earlier, though, Luther says that the greatest of all commandments is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. But again, related to the second table of law, Luther says this is the greatest commandment. And I believe that Luther says this because the fourth commandment really shapes our whole structured daily life within our society. It is the basis for our Christian ethos, our ethic. That is, the distinguishing character, sentiment, or guiding belief for our everyday lives on earth. So also the fourth commandment is part of the basis of how God has chosen to care for his creation by working through human beings in vocation after the fall of Adam and Eve. So 
it really covers the Fourth Amendment is, is the main thing with, with respect to our daily lives and this horizontal relationship we have here on earth. Why do I say that? Because the Bible tells us. St. <laughs> Paul's in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. And if you want to turn to it, you can, but I, I have it here and I can read it for it. So, St. Paul in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 tells us this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And then in parentheses, this is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Excuse me. We know this is true, right? That it may go well with you and live long in the land. Generally, when there is obedience to parents, we see things do go well, right? It is better for the family in the country if you honor your father and your mother. And I think we see that a lot in society today. I think an argument can be made that part of the breakdown in society is the breakdown of the family. And in fact, in the catechism, the central thought is this. God gives parents a unique task that serves the well-being of all society. Right there, it says it's small catechism. And this is right at the beginning of the, of, the, of the catechism. And we know that's true. But, in fact, really statistics uh, do show this. And I'm not a big fan of statistics, but I thought it's important to actually look and see what this is. So, <clears throat> I did comprise this. I did some research on this. Modern statistics on the breakdown of the family. As you will see here, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the national average. Another statistic showing the breakdown of the family. 90% of homelessness, homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 32 times the national average. 85% of all children who show a behavior disorder come from a fatherless home, 20 times the national average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from a fatherless home. 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Nine times the national average. Finally, look at this. <clears throat> A study of 13,986 women in prison showed that more than half of them grew up without their father. Do 
Isn't, isn't that true? I just said the central thought of the fourth, fourth commandment. God gives parents in each society that serves the well-being of all society. Yes, ma'am. Why don't you repeat that? Because I want that to be heard, because uh, oh. that's a good statistic. I heard on the news that about 91% of the men in prison come from fatherless yeah. homes. Yeah, yeah. No surprise. I mean, yeah, yeah. Staggering numbers, right? Right. These statistics prove what the small catechism says is the central thought of the fourth commandment that God gives parents a unique task that serves the well-being of all society. When parents are not involved in the upbringing of a child, statistics show that, generally speaking, things do not go well for the child. So the theme of the fourth commandment, this is from this small catechism. Ask, yes, Sorry. I'm just always confused that go back to Exodus in Exodus 20 and when it comes to the fourth commandment it is just strictly honor your father and your mother and very specifically and then it just stops there and it's the same in Ephesians 6 and it's just honor your father and mother. When did it and how did it all come about? Early, early church fathers started looking at that and, and Luther. Um, and, and just looking at honor your father and mother is, is the family and then kind of where all things flow from the family. And when you look at it inconsistent with the second table law, everything directed towards your neighbor, I mean, everything flows from that fourth commandment. I do see all of that, but yeah. I just wonder, it's not actually written on the scripture page this is all came after yeah it came after but i think it it's 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 completely logical they're really all things within within society start from and flow from the fourth commandment and in each other commandment then you can use it too you know clearly states what we do toward to our neighbors but um, most of the church fathers believe, and certainly Luther, that the fourth commandment really is the, the starting point for our lives on earth, and it starts with father and mother. Any other questions? I, I just had a comment, too. I, after the fourth commandment, somewhere in there, there's additional instruction that says, and parents do not vex your children. True. Now... How does that fit in? What does that look like? You know, because well, it could I'll, make you very, it could take the weapon out of your mom, you know, very yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, and I'll, I'll address that later here. I, I do have that in there, right? Okay. So the theme, as Christians, we give parents special honor as God's representative on earth. Gifts of God through whom he gave us is the gift of life. So we give special honor to our parents. Now, th- this is really important here. Um, we are really not honoring our fathers and mothers because they are, in fact, always honorable. But hopefully they are. But we know, as parents ourselves, there are times that we're not always honorable. 
In fact, we want to be honorable, but we do want to be honorable fathers and mothers and make it easy for our kids to honor us. But as parents, we do not always act honorable by what we, what we do, and we can all admit that. But parents are honorable, not because always what you do or what they do. It says here, parents are honorable because God says so. And our lives begin with this command from God. God gave us, what, the gift of life through our parents. So, I think that's very important. Parents are honorable, not always for what they do or how they act. But parents are, in fact, honorable because God said so. Okay. It's question uh, 54 in the small, com- uh, small catechism here. Why does this commandment focus on parents and other authorities? And this is on page, page 81. A mother and father uniquely serve as God's representatives through whom he bestows and nurtures human life on earth. And here's the other authorities. Other authorities, legal guardians, pastors, teachers, employers, government officials, also serve as God's representative for the support and protection of our life on earth. Okay? So, again, everything related to this nurture, uh, who God bestows and nurtures human life on earth, everything flows out of the parents and other authorities, legal guardians, pastors, etc., they also serve as God's representative for the support and protection of our life on earth. <clears throat> this is from Luther in the large catechism, that there is a, a distinction here, a special distinction. To the position of fatherhood and motherhood, God has given special distinction above all positions that are beneath it. He simply does not command us to love our parents, but to honor them. In this way, he separates and distinguishes father and mother from all other persons upon earth and places them at his side. Honor requires not only that parents be addressed kindly and with reverence, but also that both in the heart and with the body we demonstrate that we value them very highly and that next to God we regard them as the very highest. For someone we honor from the heart, we must also truly regard and regard as high and great, I think that you say. So this is not really merely external honoring of our father and mother. Um, remember when we were kids or when you told your kids, hey, go and clean your room, and then I, of course, certainly would huff off and be mad about it. <laughs> it's really external stuff. It's, it's not done from the heart. I mean, this is talking about internal, internal love. <clears throat> that it's this internal love that we always uh, love and cherish our mother and our father. Now this, <clears throat> Luther always says, and I think this gets to the heart of the matter, standing in God's place, Um, We must, therefore, impress this truth upon the young that they should think of their parents as standing in God's place. 
They should remember that however lowly, poor, frail, and strange their parents may be, nevertheless, they are the father and the mother given to them by God. Parents are not to, to be deprived of their honor because of their conduct or their failings. Therefore, we are not to consider who they are or how they may be, but the will of God who has created and ordained parenthood. This right here shows that parents cannot always be perfect. We know that. But even though parents are not perfect, they are still standing in God's place. They are a huge part of God's created order within society. Yes, parents stand in God's place in the care of upbringing of children, but by the grace of God. And as parents, we do fail. But we too must remember that God placed us in His position as a parent, knowing that we have original sin and that this original sin will hinder our abilities as parents. God knows this. No one will be a perfect parent. And we will never have perfect parents ourselves. Also, no one will be a perfect child. But the parents still stand in God's place in the upbringing of children. Okay, so kind of a, a wrap up here and then I'm going to move on to kind of a little different. But we, we fear and love God by receiving and recognizing parents and authorities and representatives. And how do we do this? By honoring them, by serving and coming to the aid of our parents, by obeying our parents, pastors, teachers, and employers, and government authorities, by loving and cherishing our parents and others' authorities on account of their God-given vocations. That term, vocation, is kind of what I'm going to look at now. And uh, I'm going to cover more of this on, on Sunday, but just kind of give a brief glimpse in, into this. Uh, one aspect of the fourth commandment, and it is this concept of authorities or vocation. What is the doctrine of vocation? Okay, Barry, you have a question? I was going to just ask before we leave that. Um, you know, I've heard, and I don't know whether it's biblical or not, but a mother's love is special and different than a father's love. And if you could comment on that, uh, if it's biblical, and I think society believes that, you know. Uh, yeah. And I guess uh, I've personally experienced that myself. So would you would you comment on that? Yeah, I can't, I can't think, and someone may help me. I, can anybody think of the biblical reference to that? Biblical? I, you know, clearly I've heard, you know, we, we hear that all the time. So sometimes you, you hear some over and over, and you think, oh, it must be from the Bible. But unfortunately, as I stand here, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't take that out of the Bible. I have heard it. Yeah. You know, Um, you know, I I think each one of us may have different experiences. I mean, um, I think looking at my wife and the love that she has for our kids. I mean, clearly right off the bat, I immediately default to that, and I think that's true. 
I do. Does anyone have any else any insight on that? Someone back here did. It's just maybe the bond between the, the gestation well, period. The bond is the same. There's attachment. Whether you support the attachment for the father equally as you support the attachment, the mother spends nine months with the child growing inside her. Right. So, but the father can be equally attached, but we haven't valued that. And there could be the difference. We've not valued that, yes, the love may be different, but not greater than or less than each other. That both are super important. That's why the minute we have issued that divorce is so easy to get into, um, they're not that we're 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 crushing the idea of a family. Is if one or the other parent is disposable and they're not. That's why your statistics are. I took a picture of it back here because those are great little statistics. Okay. Um, Anyway, so they're not different. They're both good. Great point. Bob up here, yeah. Uh, Follow-up question. Um, and then there's one up here too, Barry, when you're done. So. Go ahead. Wait, uh, does the uh, parent-child relationship ever expire? In other words, when you have adult children, if I'm 90 and they're 75, or they're 70, does that? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think so. Although I, I, I don't, I think that once, once a parent, always a parent. I think the fourth commandment applies. Yeah, through all the way. I, I can see how some of the stuff written, you know, back in the 15th, 16th century. You know, we didn't have uh, a lot of time with our parents because the death rate was too quick. Certainly, grandparents. So, you know, I don't know if there's a different understanding, but I think uh, I think that to you know, in today's modern society, the fourth commandment. You're to honor your parents. Yeah, uh, to look at a little slightly different angle, I always uh, appreciate the verse in Proverbs 22 uh, that parents are admonished to train up a child in the way, and and as an adult, they will not depart. Right. And I look back at my parents, uh, certainly grew up in a kind of a crazy home. We had alcohol problems and all kinds of things, Uh, a lot of dramas. But the one thing my parents did, and I'm eternally thankful for, is they did have me baptized as an infant, mm-hmm. and I don't remember it. Uh, I was there, but I don't remember it. <laughs> kind of a joke. Uh, and and uh, I was trained up, uh, even though all of this chaos was going on, and uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate them and honor them, even though they're gone now, for that. And it's very easy to get over all the hurt and all the uh, everything else when you keep that in mind, that they did their job uh, bringing, raising up, um, at least in my case, um, the oldest, baptizing and training up. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I think that's an excellent point. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. A lot of questions. I'm just thinking that God is so clear when a couple gets married, that's when he said, okay, you leave and cleave. You leave your parents and you cleave. And their vocation changes. Before they were just children. They didn't have a spouse. Now the vocation changes and spouse is first and second. They're still children, but it takes on a different 
kind of yeah, and I think that's understanding. A, that's an excellent point, and it is talking about vocation. So, yeah, when you are a child, you know, you, you, your parents have this vocation being parent to you then. But I do think there is a time when you get, a, you know, a, the age of majority, where that is, you get married, you have your own kids. The relationship does change, absolutely. Absolutely, because that, and that's an excellent point, and I think they're right. But I still think at the end of the day, even though we have this this change relationship, um, our, as we get older and our parents get older, I still think that the fourth commandment that we still love and honor them is there. Absolutely, but you're exactly right. The vocational aspects of it change dramatically, especially with marriage, when a child gets married, and, and so that, that's a great point. Yeah, John. Yeah, my unique situation. <clears throat> not really, um, I guess in a artificial way, my parents went to church, and especially when I lost my mother and I had a stepmother and a father, who, if I honored them, my my Christian faith would not have be as strong as a child um, growing up. In fact, unknown to them, I was walking to this um, youth group um, at churches down the street, and one day they found out, and they, they got angry with me. And so there is a point where I guess where the first commandment may have, like, my, my, my over mm-hmm. step that one, but I still, after I grew up, I honor them, but we always remain in different faiths, but I often wonder if I had just stay in the artificial religious atmosphere, um, not really get involved, you know, I felt from the day that I, you know, it, it did help my faith by exploring yeah. the, um, the Christian, you know, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. real authentic Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think, you know, and I'll address it at the end about there are times that we don't, you know, it's honor and obey, there, there is some exceptions where we, we don't have to obey our parents. So, and that's when they're actively doing something to keep you from the Christian faith. So, um, good point. Um, the doctrine of vocation here, which we've just actually been talking about vocation. Oh, we had one more question. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it, was just, it wasn't really a question. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I was just this Barry and his wife. You guys are both right. I don't think it ever expires. And I love what she was saying, that the vocation changes. Yeah. At what I've seen now is just experientially, five plus um, into 40, that the change is that they never, it becomes more difficult for them, I think, to see you more vulnerable because you were always known as the rock very difficult for them they don't they don't want to see you that way and that's that's a hard thing for them and so at times that might look like they don't care but it probably isn't one more question two more a couple more questions good um there's a recent article in the lutheran witness about language greek and hebrew (laughs) and um it refers also to the fact that, you know, words form meaning in our minds. And then they give the example of the Chinese language that has a specific name for each situation in a family. Like, 
father-in-law, mother-in-law, and all these things. So it's very interesting how they place emphasis on the family. Mm-hmm. But I, I looked up quickly references to a female or a woman in the Bible. There are like 30 of them. The one that first came to my mind is... Uh, with Christ before his crucifixion, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks and so forth? Right. And another one, I will fall on them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast. And it refers, you know, several verses to the characteristics of mothers. Just as a follow-up to mm-hmm. John's, um, when Moses received the Ten Commandments from God, God gave these to the Israelites, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Who were his chosen people. Mm -hmm. And this was for them, as his children, believers. Now in society, we as Christians understand this, but how does that affect the non-Christians? They can't even go to the Ten Commandments. It's a non-entity. Yeah, they can't. But still, I mean, the Ten Commandments is law and... It's, it's, it's the, the law is written on man's heart. So, you know, I think there's a or, natural order of creation. That, but yeah, you're right. But when 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 they don't even want to look at the Ten Commandments, why would they even care about family? And that's a great point. That's why we're. Yeah, yeah. That's where we're seeing the breakdown in the family too. Right. Good points, everybody. Um, the doctrine of vo- vocation is how God governs and cares for his creations by working through human beings. In Luther's doctrine of vocation, he really bases most of it on the fourth commandment. And we can see this in his writings in uh, the small catechism, where he writes um, the central thought. Remember, I talked about this. As Christians, we give parents special honor as God's representatives on earth. God's representatives. This is the doctrine of vocation. It's Lutheran talking about it. Um, and I talked about this this slide earlier. Why does this commandment focus on parents and other authorities? And again, it mentioned here God's representatives, and then God representatives. So that's vocational language. Um, we also see it under here under uh, we we fear and love God by receiving and recognizing parents and authorities as his, as His representatives. We do this by loving and cherishing our parents and other authorities on account of their God-given vocations. Vocation language is all over the small catechism in the fourth commandment here. The purpose of vocation. Every vocation um, is to love and serve your neighbor. Your vocation brings specific neighbors into your life which is, could be your spouse, your children, your fellow citizens, the members of your congregation, your customers, and so on. God does want us to love and serve them. This next slide, I love this slide. I went through and found through our, uh, old our church confessional writings and stuff, mentions of vocation, about what, what, what can a vocation be? This number one is the best. Ordinary tasks of vocation. Luther says this. A mother changing her baby's diaper, which Luther held as an act of holiness. Isn't that awesome? We don't think about this in society today. Vocation and what's important and not. We we think about vocations. Who's the most successful, most wealthiest, who drives the coolest car, biggest house. That's what vocation means, being successful in your career. 
That's not what vocation means. Vocation is simple love for the mate, for the neighbor. And this, I always think about that. Luther talking about um, a mom changing a, a baby's poopy diaper. <laughs> that right there is vocation. And we we lose that in society. We've lost that, I think, thinking about the importance, especially of what moms do, but dads too, and just this. Other ordinary tasks of vocation. Farmers uh, plowing their fields. This was a big hit in uh, Fort Wayne at my uh, fieldwork church because we were middle, in the middle of a farm. Uh, a shopkeeper selling something useful. An engineer designing a useful piece of technology. An artist painting a beautiful picture. A citizen casting a vote. All just simple, ordinary tasks of vocations. And they all flow out of the fourth commandment. They're acts of love and service. <clears throat> Vocation, uh, says Luther, is a, quote, mask of God. We see only the human face performing these ordinary tasks, but in everyday life, in everyday life, but behind the calling through which we are blessed, God himself is hidden, giving us gifts. He gives us our daily bread by means of farmers and bakers. He creates new human beings and cares for them by means of mothers and fathers. He protects us by means of lawful magistrates. He proclaims his word and gives his sacrament through the voice and hands of the pastor. And all these are masks of God. Um, I'm going to kind of rush through these next one because we're, we're in time. I'm going to talk a lot about this on Sunday, if anybody. Um, so within this doctrine of vocation, there's uh, Luther coined the three estates. And um, everything in society flows out of these. The, the household, the church, or the, you hear it, the church, the congregation. And then the third is the state, which is the government or authority. So three estates that uh, our vocations are within that are all from God. We have callings in all three of these um, that, that God has created for human life. And our vocations are within the, somewhere within the realms of these estates. And we can have multiple vocations in multiple realms. Quickly, the household. The household is the family, of course. But when, when this was being written back in the uh, 16th century, really everything in, the, in, in terms of the business and economy flowed from the, um, from the household because you know, usually stuff was sold out of the home. So it refers to the family, including its economic labor, by which it supports itself. Um, and so really this household all, also encompasses everything um, within uh, that of you know uh, society and and, and uh, what am I trying to say? Just all the um, economy of the society, right? Work and all that come from the first estate. In the table of duties, uh, Luther breaks the first estate um, to these everything in the first estate to husband, wives, parents, children, to workers of all kind. To employers and supervisors. Um, again, all flowing out of the fourth commandment here. Then there's some ex Luther. Then in the table of duties, gives specific biblical reference to to each one of these. I'm not going to have time um, to go uh, through through these individually, but you can look up the table of duties. And I know Pastor's been going it through it some too. It's page thirty in the new 
in the New Catechism at 30 is actually page 33 excuse me so discussing about some of the biblical the biblical um, understanding of what the duties are of husband for example uh, we've got the husband here husband the same way be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect um, pastor's gone over these recently to wives the submission language um, to parents this is I think someone said this fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in their training and instruction in the Lord children children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and your mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth then not only that, in the household realm, in this vocation, we've got two workers of all kinds. Now, the, the language of slave was used, but that's in the, the, not the concepts we, we think of with, with what happened with the um, African Americans. But this is more in, in the working environment. So it's, we've relabeled it now to workers as opposed to slaves. Um, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor with their eye, when their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good He does, whether He is a slave or free. So that's to the workers. Now to the employers, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since. You know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Let's kind of the, the, a look at everything that falls under this first estate, which is the household. The second estate, according to Luther, is the congregation or the church. Now, all Christians are called by the gospel. God also calls pastors. Also elders, other church workers, and all other members, each of whom has the part to play in the congregation. And then uh, so the table of duties will have, uh, uh, it, talking about what uh, pastors uh, should be, should be, you know, above approach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-control, respectable, hospital, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, and so on. And then, under the same, we've got what the hearers owe. Again, you can look at these um, in the table of duties. The third and final estate is the state or the civil government. Um, we, f we find ourselves in a certain place, a certain time and place, under certain political jurisdictions part of a certain culture. This is part of our assignment in which we are to live our Christian lives. Our citizenship is a vocation. We are called to our local communities, our nation, our surrounding culture. Christians are free to participate in the political life of their countries as well as to hold public offices. We thus have vocations even in this secular arena, which is where Christians interact with non-believers and function as salt and light in the world. 
table of duties talks about what the government owes the citizens. I'm not going to have time um, to go through that. Of citizens, <clears throat> pastors speak have uh, talked about this recently. What is the citizen's duty? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. As citizens, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Other, other, um, other Bible verse with respect to the duties of citizens. So it's kind of a look at vocation and then within the vocation how we've got it structured, the three estates, and then what, what falls. And remember, we, we can be more than one at one time. Okay, let me go back to then kind of to just to wrap up more looking at the fourth commandment. Um, so when we look at the fourth commandment, um, what is the vice really of the fourth commandment? And I would say it's rebellion. Um, our world loves rebellion. Uh, think of the phrase, rules are made to be broken. We have a tendency to be rebellious to those who have been put over us. And not only our parents, but everything we've seen in the fourth commandment that fl flows out of the fourth commandment. Um, the fourth commandment is teaching us that there is virtue in honoring those in authority over us. The Lord sets us in this world to obedient to the authorities that we have, especially our father and mother. And again, as I said at the beginning, we see in what the church fathers and, and Luther in the small catechism and the large catechism and other places in his writing, all authority extends out of the father and mother, the fourth commandment. So our civil society then is an extension of the home. Um, and I can think of this example. You know, a parent's job is to really teach their children. But when I thought about that, you know, I wanted my kids to learn chemistry. Unfortunately, I had no, I had no, no idea about chemistry. I'm awful and that kind of stuff and math. So what, what, what do we do? Well, we find a teacher to do this. We've all had other teachers teach our children, right? And what's happening here is then, if we look at this right, schools should be an extension of the home. So the parents delegate their authority to the school and to the teachers to teach your children. But we've always got to remember that is really delegated authority that belongs to the parent. As parents, we also have a duty to protect our children. So we set up governments to erect borders, build up, build up a military, wage war, put people in jail, build roads. The list goes on and on. This, arguably, is an extension of the authority that God has given to parents. But unfortunately, nowadays, the state always wants to think that it's in charge, that, it's, that they're the parent. But we all know that's not right. 
the state is authorized to exercise the authority of the family. And we can never forget that. It's very important. A couple more uh, slides here, which... uh, Question 56 in the small catechism. What if my parents or other authorities poorly carry out their vocations from God? In faith and obedience to God's words, we still have we still respect them as those who have been given the privilege of representing God. Hard to swallow sometimes. We can think of uh, lots of things that would happen in parents and authorities. But really, we're given that we still respect them. But then the next question in the small catechism is this. Am I always to obey my parents and other authorities without question? And the answer is no. We must disobey them if they require us to disobey God's word. Pastors touched on this next one quite a bit recently. Are we always to obey government? And this is what the catechism says. Let me see that's before I think. Um, We must distinguish between what a government permits people to do and what it compels people to do. When it compels us to act contrary to God's word, then we must disobey and live as God intends. Okay? So there's this, if it compels us to do something. Um, But then there's the other side of it. Permits When government permits activities contrary to God's word, for example, abortion, no-fault divorce, and same-sex marriage, the list goes on and on, we bear witness to living as God intended. So it's whether, you know, what the government compels us to do or this worse permits. If the government compels you to do something, you don't, have, you don't do it. But if the government presents something they don't like, what do we do? We hold on to God's word. We bear witness to living as God intended, right? Not as to what we do. And then we pray, right? We're constantly reminded. We pray. That's why we pray for our governing authorities. We do it a lot in church here. Other churches I've been to within the Missouri Synod through the U.S. We pray. We pray. A couple more and then wrap it up. What promises does God give us with this commandment and why does he give it? God promises that those who keep the fourth commandment, they, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This promise highlights the vital importance of parents in raising children to grow up and become responsible members of society, wise caretakers of God's creation and faithful witness to the gospel it's important and remember though the two tables of the law we've got the first the first table the first three is our relationship with God Um, table two is our horizontal relationship with the world and we've got this commandment and it tells us what to do 
And it's a good guide for us as we live in this world and in our relationship with our, with our neighbor. But I wouldn't um, be a good Lutheran if I ended it with that. Um, this is good stuff. But remember, at the close of the Ten Commandments within the Catechism, can anyone then be saved by keeping God's commandments? We know the answer to this. No, God's holy law condemns everyone, for we are all disobedient. So we can never be the perfect parent. We can never be the perfect child. But we still strive to do so. But at the end of the day, um, we're, we know that we're saved by not what we do, but with our faith. The last question in the Catechism under the Ten Commandments. Where alone can we sinners find rescue from the condemnation of God? Because of God's merciful kindness, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to rescue us from our sin and the condemnation we deserved. As our substitute, Jesus kept God's holy law perfectly, suffered, died, and rose again for us. Therefore, in our crucified and risen Lord Jesus, we are freed from the guilt, the punishment, and the power of sin. And we are saved eternally. So there's the gospel to end on. But anyways, I do think the fourth commandment isn't very, very, very deep, right? It's very important. And uh, everything I think that flows, authority, I think that is right. I think the church, early church fathers and Luther have done a good job with this. That most, most of the authority we see here on earth at this time until the coming again of our Lord Jesus um, is an authority that is given by God. Um, and in fact, there are, we have a whole two kingdoms theology on this, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a Bible study on uh, on Sunday, talking about the two kingdoms and, and the three estates. Um, so with that, um, we are about out of time here. And um, are there any follow-up questions or comments here as we... Well, I thank you all very much for your attention, and the Lord be with you on this day.